The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. And folks, to tell you the truth, I don't even fear what our country is becoming. I fear what our churches are becoming. There are a lot of churches today that have an attitude or a mentality that goes, we're all sinners, love is love, and they bunch up everything into a big, big social club. You know, and this person has their truth, this person has their truth, but the Word of God, the ultimate truth, the only truth, has been taken a back seat. Entertainment is up front. You know, I met with a pastor last week of a church, of a church plant here. Um, And we were talking about churches and how this entertainment has become a big problem in our churches. Because, you know, when you attract people with entertainment, eventually you have to step up your game. You have to take it to the next level. And he mentioned that he went and visited some churches and they already look like a rock concert. So the question becomes, where do you go from here? Where do you go from that? How do you up that? And he basically said, uh, maybe they'll start putting stripper poles on the stage and serving beer and coffee shops and handing out popcorn, popcorn as you walk in. These churches pride themselves because there's so many members and they're growing in numbers, but not really spiritually, and they forget what Revelations 3.17 says, and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. On the other side, and again, I'm just going to use these terms so you guys understand. So we have liberal churches. On the other side, we have conservative churches who are self-righteous, and their church is more like a museum for the saints. They have orthodoxy, that it's dead. And Jesus spoke to these people when he said in Mark 7, verse 6, and he answered and said to them, well, Did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Most of them really are just like the liberal churches. Use the church pulpit to push their personal agenda, maybe even political agendas. They don't love their neighbor. They don't bless those who persecute them, but they retaliate against those, and say God is on their side. You know, I'm listening to some of these preachers, these kind of preachers, and they often talk about COVID, how it's the mark of the beast. It's not. Sometimes you hear in the message, make America great again. I'm sure you guys heard of that. But the problem with that, even though it sounds nice, nowhere in the Bible does it call Christians to do that. You won't find it anywhere in the scriptures. These people tend to speak about the sins of others more than paying attention to what's happening in front of their own nose and their own sin. But what you do find in the Scripture for all Christians who claim to be Christians, 1 Peter 1.16 says this, Be holy, for I am holy. And folks, if that was the message of all churches in America of the United States today, to be holy, and urge their members to be holy, I truly do believe the world would be a much 
better place if we just did that. Because you see, both of these types of churches are a failure in God's eyes. Because both have failed to be biblical. And the church is only a failure when it fails to be biblical. Doesn't matter how grand its worship is. Doesn't matter how eloquent the pastor is or how much he knows of doctrines. You see, I said this before and I keep saying it. The devil doesn't care which side of the road he wrecks you on. The right or the left, as long as he gets you off that biblical road, the main road. It's much easier to be one of these churches, give a 10-minute, 15-minute motivational speech, or vice versa. But we need to understand that there is judgment to the church and the people of God on how they represent him on this side of heaven. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with who? The Democrats, the Republicans, the liberals. Who? The house of God. And if it begins with us first, folks, it begins with us first. Sometimes we tend to judge the unbelieving world. It's quite opposite. God's going to say, you are my representation. It begins with the house of God and it begins with us first. What will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And folks, I truly do want our church to be a biblical church. And to be a biblical church, it's a lot tougher. You see, it's easier to be on one side or the other. But to be a biblical church, you have to know the word of God. You have to study the Word of God, and you have to apply the Word of God properly. And then it's not just when you study what this Word of God means to me. It, what does the Word of God mean? You know, we did a series, Love Like Jesus. That is our foundation. Self-sacrificing love. So, you know, sometimes I think about those things, and I don't demonstrate those things. I fail. And I will fail if you put your trust in me. You only put trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but, they, but, but, but his support, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I want us to be a biblical church. And today we're going to start, since we had baptism, I figured that we'll start, what is church? What should it be? Well, we'll start with the ordinances of the church. Pretty simple. Today we have baptism. We'll talk about baptism. Next Sunday we're planning to have a communion service. We'll talk about the Lord's Supper. So would you take God's word and turn with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. And let me give you a background for this passage. The scripture before I read it, God has taken his preacher Philip. He's out there in Samaria. There was a revival going on. And the spirit of the Lord said, Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza. Once you go down in the desert, I have a special assignment for you there. And he didn't tell him what the assignment was. So Philip really was traveling under sealed orders. So Philip went down there. He saw a man riding a chariot. And he had what we call an entourage or his posse with him, right? And this man was a great authority. He was a treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. Now this eunuch has been to Jerusalem to worship 
but he still hasn't found the Lord. But in his hands, he has a possession of something very important. It's a scroll. And he's reading the great, great passage from prophet Isaiah about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 53, as I call what is the gospel according to Isaiah. And he's reading this scroll and he's kind of puzzled. He says, I don't know what this prophet's writing about. And about that time, God, the Holy Spirit, says to Philip, Philip, go join that chariot. And we read in Acts 29, 8 verse 29 says, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So the Bible says that Philip went, he ran, found the chariot, introduced himself, found the man who was reading prophet Isaiah, and he asked Philip a question. What does all of this mean? And Philip said, well, let me explain to you what it means. And now we break into our story in chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Isn't that interesting? This is the Old Testament. This is Isaiah. There's no New Testament. But yet, he's preaching Jesus to him. In verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came out out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went away rejoicing. Over centuries, folks, Christians have debated what baptism really accomplishes. Who should be, it be administered to? Infants? Adults? What age? How much water should be used? And there's many, many misconceptions about baptism, but primarily in three areas. And the three areas is the method of the baptism, the meaning of the baptism, and what is the motive for baptism? You know, when I traveled for work, again, I went to Jacksonville a lot through Atlanta. And I learned that you, how you get your entire seat of rows to yourself. I don't know if it's possible now with all the COVID restrictions. But when, you, when I flew to Jacksonville, I always had to take Southwest. And you know about things Southwest, you don't have assigned seats. You go by groups. So when I get on, I usually go towards the middle or towards the back because I know a lot of people want to sit towards the front. And I sit by the window and I opened the Bible. 90% chance nobody's going to sit with you. You're welcome for the trick. Until one day, the gentleman first passed me, and then he kind of stepped back and dropped back in, and, you know, said, whoa, what are you reading? said, National Enquirer, hoping that he would just keep going, you know. He said, well, may I sit here? I said, well, it's a free country. You can sit here. I said, what book are you reading? So we started talking, and turns out he was a Christian, and we talked in shop, if you would. He was excited. I was excited. We talked about the Trinity, the Lord's Supper, and then we started talking about baptism, and he said baptism was required for salvation. That's when I had to break it to him that I said, 
Friend, we, you and I don't worship the same God. My Jesus is all-powerful. He can do anything. He hung the stars in space, spoke the universe into existence. He keeps the planets on course. He created the human race out of dust, out of the ground. And he said, well, that's the Jesus I worship. No. You see, your God is not all-powerful. Your God may sound good, but he's not biblically sound. I say, let's say this plane crashes, and on the way down, I accept Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. My Jesus saves. Yours doesn't. It requires baptism. You see, my God is the same God that told the thief on the cross when he repented. He says, this day you will be in heaven with me. These do not say, oh, shucks, we got to get you off this cross, get you baptized. No. He said, this day you'll be in heaven. And the thief was not baptized. So if your God requires it for salvation, folks, we're not talking about the same God. And that's why doctrine is so important because sometimes these little things really throw you really off. Now, don't misunderstand me when I'm talking about this. I do not want to lower or talk disrespectfully about baptism. It's not required for salvation, but it is required for obedience if you're able to do it. It's required for obedience. Jesus left two ordinances for the church. That's it. Baptism and Lord's Supper. And both are symbols of what he did for us on the cross. Did you know that? Did you think about that? Both of those ordinances is what he did for us on the cross. So we dare not minimize the subject of baptism. When the Lord Jesus Christ began his ministry, he started by being baptized. That's the way he began his public ministry. And there are many things he could have done or selected, but he chose baptism to begin his public ministry. And how did he conclude his ministry? When it all said and done, he commanded his disciples to do what? Look at Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus began his ministry with baptism and commanded us to go and baptize. We need to understand what the Bible says about baptism. So I want to talk about the method first. And the method, if we look back in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, says, Now as they went down the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both and Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And he baptized him. Now, I read this passage in several different translations, and there's a different translation. It's a CJB. It's not Columbus Blue Jackets, that's CBJ. This is the complete Jewish Bible. And look what, how it puts this verse, eight, uh, verse 38. And it says, He ordered the chariot to stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip immersed him. You see, the word baptism means immersion. 
immersed them. That's what it means. They both went down into the water. Now, if you will, just turn left in your Bibles and go to the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now let me ask you a question. How far where Jesus was in Nazareth? Does anybody know to where John was? About 60 miles. It's about 60 miles. Jesus made a trip of 60 miles to be baptized. And he was baptized in, and that word actually means in too. If you look at verse 9 again, it says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized, John, in the Jordan. He was not baptized near Jordan, by Jordan, or with Jordan. It says he was baptized literally into Jordan. Immediately coming up from the water, in verse 10, and it says the Father was well pleased with him by immersion. And it's the same way the eunuch was baptized in Acts chapter 8. And you know, when this church was being built, I'm sure they went and spent some money on that baptistry. It's not, it's not cheap to build a baptistry in the church, and it takes a lot of water. It takes a lot of water. Now, we could have saved some expense not building probably that baptistry. Maybe we could have saved some expense by not filling up the baptistry all the way up just for one person. But you cannot baptize with a teaspoonful of water. It takes much water. Look at John 3.23. It says, Now John was also baptized in an eon near Salem because what? He chose that place because it was so beautiful, because it was so convenient, because it was near where John lived. No, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Because there was much water. It takes a lot of water. Sometimes, folks, it's really inconvenient to baptize people. You know, you got to run afterwards, get dressed, still catching my breath. And I thought I had it going on by lifting weights and everything. I'm still out of shape. Now, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was traveling along. He was a wealthy man. And think about it. When you're traveling in those days, you have to have some water with you. There's no drinking fountains along the way, right? So I'm sure he had jugs of water with him and so forth. He was wealthy. He didn't say, stop and just pour some water on top of me. He says, what hinders me from being baptized? In verse 36 in the book of Acts, they went down the road and they came to some water. And then he says, well, wait a minute. Here's some water. What hinders me? Now, today I'm afraid we're substituting this act for convenience. People do pour water bottle or something like that on top. Ever seen a spray gun or water gun? The socially distanced baptizing. And you know, I expect some church today will take messages, you know, sometimes maybe they'll, I don't know, who knows, but maybe they'll start take members by text message or maybe start baptizing by FaceTime, right? Do you profess Jesus Christ? And they'll just dump the phone in there. But 
it takes a lot of water to baptize. And you know, I always, this is a, one of those subjects for me that I'm on fire for, because the method, why am I such a stickler on the method? Because if you don't do the method properly, it loses its meaning. So what's the meaning of baptism? First of all, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, first of all, it pictures our past redemption. Our past redemption. What I mean, baptism is a portrayal of the gospel, just like the Lord's Supper. And what is the gospel? We read this these verses during Easter. Chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. My friend, the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of the Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, turn to Romans chapter 6. In verses 4 to 5, it says, Therefore we were buried with him into baptism, into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you see it? He's talking about baptism. It says, If we have been united together in likeness of his death, that is buried, that is immersion, in likeness of his death, certainly we will show likeness of his resurrection. So baptism is likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we discussed in Easter, literally died on the cross. He literally was put on the tomb and literally came out of that tomb. So baptism is a liquid tomb. When a person is baptized, he's put beneath the water, that symbolizes burial, and out of the water symbolizes resurrection, his new life. It doesn't save, but it symbolizes that. And every time a person is baptized, he's preaching what literally happened when Jesus Christ died. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died and buried and rose from the dead on the third day? Amen. And if I was the devil, what truth would I want to take out of the church, period? What methods would I would like to change? This, the gospel, that symbolizes the gospel truth. Well, what's the truth of the gospel? Jesus died, buried, and he rose again on the third day to save us. That's the gospel. So why do you think God commanded us to be baptized? Because every time somebody gets saved and they're baptized, they're just preaching a sermon. And the only loser is the devil. He hates it. And if we've been united together in verse 5 of Romans 6, in the likeness of his death, certainly we all should be likeness in his resurrection. My dear friend, you cannot show death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by sprinkling or pouring or anything else. It takes immersion. It also pictures our present regeneration. If you look at Romans 6, 4, again, it says, we were buried with him through baptism into death just as Christ was raised from the dead glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in the newness of life. Even so, we also walk in the newness of life. That's your present regeneration. You're walking with new life. When I got saved, the old Cornet died. When did he die? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ died. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, 
by, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. Well, Paul wasn't really crucified, neither have I on that cross. But that's what that symbolizes. His death had my name on it. He died as my substitute. He died for me, and I died with him. The debt of my sin was paid by Jesus. And when he rose again, came out of that grave, he brought me with him. And that's what it pictured. And that's what your baptism was. That's what my baptism is. It's a funeral. You're saying goodbye to that old man symbolically and goodbye to that old way and old Cornet is dead. It's a funeral. And again, the only mourner is the devil because he hates it. Baptism pictures our past redemption, our present regeneration. And sometimes, you know, people get baptized before they're really saved. And we'll get to that in a second because that's the motive. Sometimes people get baptized, but they don't really believe. They say, well, well, I was three years old or whatever, I was baptized. Well, you can't make a solid decision of being baptized or understanding what God did for you. You may be dipped, but biblically you haven't been baptized if you were baptized before you were truly converted and saved, it's like having your funeral before you die. You have it backwards. Belief always comes before baptism. Acts 2, verse 41 says, And those who gladly received the word were baptized. Gladly received the word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. First of all, you must receive the word of God in order to be baptized. And if you go back to Acts chapter 10, verses 46 and 47, it says this, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who also received the Holy Spirit just as we have? They received the word. They received the Holy Spirit. Then they were baptized. Remember the story of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, uh, verses 31 and 33. says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all those who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, that means they confessed their sins, and immediately all his family was baptized. So there's belief. And the same thing happened with this Ethiopian eunuch. Go back to Acts 8.36, says, Now they went down the road and came some water. He said, Here, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip tells him in verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So belief always comes before baptism. That's why we have baptism classes and so forth and kind of understand. We don't want to hinder anybody from doing baptism, but I just want to make sure as the pastor of the church and before I baptize anybody that they understand what this means and what Christ did for them on the cross. Because not only that, it also pictures our prospective resurrections that we're going to have. That one day when I die, they'll carry me in the grave, they'll put me in the ground, but one day I'm going to rise. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Just as I came out of that water and just like Isaiah came out of that water, he's going to come out of that ground. I'm going to be raised 
with the Lord Jesus Christ in this glorified body. And my dear friend, the whole picture here of baptism, the picture is what Jesus did for me. It pictures what happened inside of me, and it pictures what's going to be done through me through all the ages. That's the reason baptism is so important, because it symbolizes so much. You know, sometimes I find people in churches who are not baptized, but somehow they're members of a church that requires baptism by immersion. And sometimes they'll ask, I was not baptized by immersion. I was an infant, raised Catholic, they support, or I have a lot of Presbyterian friends. We didn't do immersion. Should I be baptized again? And again, you know, it's not required for salvation, but it's required for, for obedience. And I can put it this way, and I'll use myself as an illustration. Suppose you've never seen me before, right? But you've seen Katrina, and she says she's married. And you say, Katrina, we've never seen your husband before. Can you show us a picture of your husband? And she pulls out a picture of Captain America and shows it to you. I would be kind of disappointed because I think I'm much cuter than that. But she'll say, oh, he kind of looks like him. That's good enough. Wouldn't you be insulted? Folks, when you are baptized in any other way, again, you lose that meaning, that picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ meant for the baptism to be. You're kind of saying, this picture is good enough. But folks, it doesn't have the same meaning. Again, it's not required, but it's required for obedience. And I say the choice is yours. If you want to be baptized, if you can be baptized, you should. Because that's what it symbolizes, what Christ did for you on the cross. And you should not be ashamed of it if you're following Christ. What's the motive? So now we're going to the motive. Why should you be baptized? Again, first, it's a commitment that I proclaim. I, when I'm baptized, I'm proclaiming to everybody that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm baptized with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm a new person. I identify myself with Jesus. I identify myself with Jesus openly and publicly. Does it make you a Christian? Absolutely not. Doesn't make you a Christian, but sure, it just shows that you are one. When people get married, they put a ring on the finger, right? Put a ring on the finger. Does that ring make you married? Not really. You could just be married without the ring as well, right? But when you wear the ring, it means that you are. It means I belong to that pretty thing where she's at somewhere in here. A woman named Katrina. I'm not ashamed of her. I don't know if she would say the same about me, but, but it symbolizes my commitment to her. And I'm certain if any wife or husband who refuses to wear a wedding ring would be insulted. They would take that as a rejection, rejection of the spouse. So a ring is really more than a piece of jewelry. It represents institution. It represents a covenant. It's symbolic of marriage. And that's what the baptism does. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. You identify yourself. He's the one that 
suffered, bled, and died on Calvary for me. So there's commitment to proclaim. There's a conversion to portray, and we talked about that in the meeting. But there's also a command to perform. Just because it does not save, people say, oh, it's not important. It takes the back seat. It's not required for anything. This is something optional. Well, again, if you look at Matthew 28, 19, verses 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Amen. I've commanded you all the things. Well, baptism is one of those things he commanded. And folks, you know, we're asking sometimes, I need the Lord Christ to be with me in time of difficulty and so forth. Well, if you want to be with, you want him to be with you, are you obeying his commandments? He says, if you love me, then obey my commandments. You're not baptized in order to be saved, but you're baptized because you are saved. See, just like with Isaiah today, that happened, his conversion happened back in November to September of last year. That's when he was saved, but today he publicly went with it. And Jesus says in Luke 6:46, "But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not and not do the things which I say?" Folks, do you realize that obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ brings joy to your life? It gives you peace, it brings joy. And many Christians are lacking joy in their Christian life because they're not being obedient. There are many Christians who are saying, God, help me understand the Bible. Help me live a fruitful life. Let me be this prayer warrior. When I pray, God answers immediately. Well, have you already obeyed what you already know? I'm not talking about new things. You know, we went through a study of love. Are you already doing those things? Are you blessing those that persecute you? Are you praying for them? Or are you doing the complete opposite? Have you obeyed what you already know? And you know, we did that series, Love Like Jesus. There's probably nothing, absolutely nothing new in there that I have told you guys. But it's so hard to practice. Why should God give you more light Till we live up to the light we already have. Why should God give you more joy and fruitfulness when you don't even begin right? If we want joy, if you look at your scripture, you'll find after this man got baptized and all of a sudden Philip just disappeared. He looked around, look at Acts 8:39. Then he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. He was just walking with him. All of a sudden, he's gone. And pay attention to that last phrase. And he went away. Went on his way, what? Rejoicing. And while baptism does not bring salvation, it's an answer of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say again, why baptism is not necessary for salvation. It is necessary for obedience. Being baptized does not make you a Christian more than wearing this ring makes me married. 
but it shows that I'm married. Baptism shows that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a symbol. It's only a picture. Don't fail. Focus on Jesus and what he did. It's only a picture, too. It's a symbol. And folks, baptism, spoonful or even tankful, we need to understand it's never going to save anybody. You can be dunked in there so many times, tadpoles can have you a social security number, you're still not going to be saved. You're saved by trusting Jesus Christ alone as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And folks, I promise you in the authority of the Word of God, if you truly repent of your sins, if you trust Jesus, he will save you. Anywhere, anytime, and he can do it today. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. And when you obey your Lord, that's when joy begins. And if you're having trouble, difficulty in your Christian life, maybe you're not growing spiritually and you say, what's wrong with me? You need to do a checkup, not just regarding baptism, but are you obeying the commandments that God has already opened to you? Things that he opened to you that you need to work on? Are you being obedient to the things you've already learned from Scripture? And folks, God will not trust us with big things as individuals, as a church, or open up new things for us in his word if we're not being obedient to the things that he already opened to us. If he can't trust us with the little things, how do you expect him to trust us with big things? And folks, when you begin to obey, God will begin to manifest himself to you. Amen? And before we end, I'm going to ask Isaiah and his mom and dad to come up here. Now I'm going to ask that one of them prays for Isaiah. And I want you guys to pray silently as well. Because we all know Satan will not rest, will not give peace. So let's pray all for Isaiah. And again, I asked them ahead of time if they want to do it, so I'm not pointing them out. So they're like, how dare you bring him up here? Go ahead, sister. Well, good afternoon, or good morning, church. This is a wonderful day in our lives, and um, I'm very thankful and grateful for all of you here today. It, say, it takes a village to raise a child. And Isaiah was born and raised in this church, and all of us have been part of his life. So I'm thankful to be from this church. Thank you for the life of Isaiah. Thank you for his salvation. 
We pray that the seed that has been planted today, dear Lord, only you can water that seed to grow and blossom. But we as parents are willing to be used as an instrument to help this child grow and be a strong man of God. And we pray, dear Lord, for the other children, Father God, to follow in the same footsteps and be like Jesus. And want to have a good relationship with Jesus Christ. For it is the fruit and the spirit of living God who wants to be as an instrument. And I want to thank you and we praise you. And in the name of Jesus, I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Father, what a practical, what a basic truth we learned this morning about baptism. We thank you for Isaiah as he publicly declared that he's not ashamed of you, that he belongs to you. And we ask that you bless this church and fill it with people who are hungry for your word, Father, who need you as their Lord and Savior and help this church proclaim your word faithfully and be a biblical church. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen.